Ah, close to retirement. Or retired already? Time to live the good life, right? Well, you're no longer earning money. You're now withdrawing money each month. And your broker is also withdrawing each month from your account as much as 2 to 3%. And if the market drops, your broker continues to withdraw. Wait a minute. How do we navigate these challenges? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halabi, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with me. Talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. You know, look, a lot of what we do when we are building our financial life is we listen to friends, family, people that have come before us. You know, when I was looking uh, at a career, right, when when I was young uh, in the world of law enforcement, because I think some of you know that, I was a police officer for 10 months, 7 years, and 3, uh, sorry, 10 years, 7 months, and 3 days. Uh, not that I was counting. Somewhere in the area, just below 11 years. It was a lot of fun until a car accident and multiple back and knee surgeries changed my life. And it was a decision that was made for me in the sense that uh, you can't work anymore. Uh, and, of course, during that period of time, I was taken in a couple of different financial scams. And, and that shook my, well, my confidence, certainly in my own financial decisions. But also in the process of, you know, the bad guys are out there. They're trying to get us. How do I protect my money? You know, I, I couldn't believe that people would do that. So as I I went through my career, though, prior to that, I was always thinking, look at somebody two or three or or four ranks higher than you. That's where you're going to be in 10 years or so from now. Look at somebody who is 55, 60 years old when I was 22, 24 years old. And do you like what they have? Do you like what they are making, what they're earning, their relationships? Because if you do, then get on the same path. Get on those train tracks and just focus. Now, you might achieve it a little sooner. You might take a little longer. You might be that person. But here's a couple of rules that I learned when it came to career advice. Now, number one, don't be a victim. Don't be a victim, right? And, and at the time, there was always there was some racial issues going on, and there were the, uh, the, the gay LGBTQ uh, I can't remember all the letters, uh, issues going on in, in the department and in the country, in the city. There were concerns about uh, you know minorities and women recruitment. So there was a lot of tension back in the late 80s, early 90s, especially after Rodney King event took place. When all of that was happening, we were going through that process, and it didn't it, it still affected the local police departments and the officers that worked. And you could always tell the ones that walked around the stations with a chip on their shoulder. They were just waiting 
for somebody to say something the wrong way or to act or to look the wrong way. In other words, they knew back then that everybody was racist and they're just waiting to catch you. And you would sit in the police car and you're driving and, and look, you got you got to be thinking the same way, you know, just to look the way that the way that my partner would move his head or the way that she would kind of blink her eyes in motion that something's wrong over here. All of those things would lead you to the nonverbal communication that sometimes would save your life. Well, when the mistrust is there inside of those agencies, it makes life very difficult when you're trying to be an officer on the streets of you know, one of the toughest cities, Los Angeles. Okay, now fast forward 30 years where we are today. And now I've been in the financial industry for more than 24 years as a professional. And you get to this place where you say, is this mistrust now permeating every single career choice? Right? You work in an office environment or in a retail store environment. And are there people walking around with a chip on their shoulder just waiting for you to say something, do something, look a particular way? And what does it do? Well, it it undermines the confidence, the cohesiveness of your team at the coffee shop, of your team at the retail store or the manufacturing or the office environment. Now, granted, today a lot of people are still working from home and they're doing the video conferencing and chats and all that stuff. So, So maybe it's less of a concern. But eventually this is going to be over. Most of us think after November, right? I think Gavin Newsom is going to play the game for maybe a couple more weeks and, you know, and and his benevolence of, I will let you go back to work, right? Ask, Ask Andrew Cuomo out of New York. You wonder why these folks kind of give you the freedom to have the freedoms, the liberties, the rights that they are so gracious. Well, we saw what happened this week with Michigan. Finally, that their Supreme Court, of course, she calls it a partisan thing and everybody's bad and she's good. But I think the chips are going to start to fall because as soon as the Supreme Court rules on something like this, not just the state Supreme Court, but the U.S. Supreme Court, then the precedent will come down. It's going to be over. There's no constitutional, there's no crisis, no emergency that lasts for months and months and months where the legislature can't meet to make a law, which means they're accountable. So for a lot of you, you're forced into retirement during these really hectic times. You don't want to go back to a crazy environment where every time you turn around, you're being accused of something or you can't say anything uh, in a particular way, right? Joe Biden would say, you're not allowing me to sniff anybody's hair. What is this environment? No, <laughs> no. as they say, creepy Joe, he did it again this week. It's it's kind of odd, right? Well, the media is now on his side. And so your workplace environment, is, of course, as we know, it's difficult. It's difficult to walk through a stressful environment. And you might say, you know what? I just want to retire. That's it. I'm done. There's things I want to do. And it does not include, you know, staying at work. So what are some of the bigger factors that we look at just to determine our ideal retirement age, because there is not a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't exist. doesn't mean that age 62 is the right age, or 65, or 66, or 67, or 70. 
And it's funny how many times you'll come in and everybody will have a story from their brother-in-law or their cousin or their CPA. And, and I don't know the, uh, the financial acumen of these people. They might be wonderful. But there might be a reason that you would say, I don't want to be like my CPA. I don't want to grow up and be on the same train tracks as my brother-in-law financially or relationships. Because when I was a policeman in that, you would look up ahead and you would say, well, this person is this rank. They're miserable. They're on their third marriage. Uh, Probably not wanting to be like that person. Well, it doesn't change where you look and say, my brother-in-law is broke. He's always got financial problems. But man, does he have an opinion on everything? Or my sister, you know, she's a big mouth. She always wants to bring her mouth, uh, her bring her uh, ideas to the party. And, and uh, boy, does she ruin and that whole process, that whole conversation. Why do you want to be like that? Right? So you're going to get to the place where you have to kind of think for yourself and say, yes, I want to stay on these tracks. So how do you know when you should retire? How do you know what the right benefit is for you for Social Security? Should you... You know, cut the cord at 62 or 65 or 70. Now, most people, because it's a math problem, we know that Social Security is going to have some big issues in 2030, 2035, somewhere in between there. Now, it doesn't mean someone's going to get the last check. Mary Sue in Des Moines, Iowa, got the last Social Security check. Congratulations. Everybody claps. No, it isn't going to be that. It will be, all right, guys, we have enough money to pay 71% of your Social Security checks. So I know you were used to getting $2,000. You're going to receive $1,400. Here you go. That's probably what will happen is some sort of a reduction or discount or some sort of a formula. Because the politicians, you guys allow it. You guys as the voters. Every time one side, and and both sides do this, says... All right, I have a solution for Social Security. Oh, my gosh, you hate old people. You want to push them off a cliff. You want to taking away. And and look, who has time to vote and protest and write letters? It's the seniors. So nobody wants to upset them. But let me tell you guys, the chances of you getting, I don't know, maybe if you're 97 years old, okay, maybe you'll be fine. You'll get your last paycheck before you pass away. But for most of you that are in your 70s, 60s, maybe even early 80s, the chance of you not getting a full social security check exists. Why? It's just a math of, it's just a math problem. It, it isn't a secret. And with more people becoming independent contractors and not putting into full social security, now they're not going to receive the benefits. But you know, the way Ponzi schemes work is you use today's money to pay for yesterday's responsibilities, commitments. Today's contributions come in. I use it to pay for what I promised you yesterday. And the guy who's putting in today, well, he's going to get from those younger people. Because the investments, the the interest rates, the rates of return that the Social Security dollars that are pulled from your paycheck and your employer's paycheck that are in that bucket, there isn't enough. The interest is not making enough money to be an endowment. All right, the reason that universities do well is because when you donate a million dollars and it's an endowment, they don't spend the million. What they do is they spend the interest from the million. So they say, oh, we're going to make 5%. We'll spend $50,000. So we have a $50,000 scholarship this year. And that million dollars is a machine that just makes money. 
makes the interest every year. Well, Social Security doesn't work that way. They pay out the million, and as of about 15 years ago or so, not only have they, are they paying out the money, but they're now borrowing. So every, I don't know, every $1,000 in checks that you receive, 20, 30, 40, 40%, in other words, two or three or $400 from every $1,000 you receive is borrowed from someplace. Canada, Brazil, China, Germany. Those, those countries are the ones that are paying. Everybody wants to blame you know, China, but Japan as well, Korea. In fact, China isn't even number one. I want to say they're number four or something. See, Canada's pretty smart. They put money in the bonds, and then they don't need a big military. Because we handle it, right? We're the, the safest, most prosperous, most uh, fair, equitable country in the world is the southern border. Oh, and then the north has a bunch of ice. <laughs> nobody's going nobody's gonna to invade from the north. So... They said, oh, yeah, we'll buy your bonds. Yeah, pay us some interest. Great. So I think you'll see that in the Social Security world, it isn't just your own personal financial world. Some of you might say, I need to go on benefit before it's too late. Because if you wait too long, and and look, again, I don't know the answer. I would be cautious in taking advice from from anybody who has not had a long conversation with you, weighed the pros and cons, and in most cases, the answer is not going to be crystal clear. Like, oh, of course, everybody would have chosen this. For you, it's going to be giving up a little bit here to get there. Peace of mind there, but I'm going to give up here. Right? I'm going to give up peace of mind for a better shot at the long term. Social Security is most, for many, many people, about... Oh, I don't know. We know that it's at least 50%. It's a major component of your retirement account, uh, your retirement plan. But it's only really designed to replace about 40% of the average person's pre-retirement income. That means through cost reduction, which is either paying off your debts or having other sources of income, that's designed to replace the difference. And the higher the income that you are, in other words, more than 100000 a year, the less likely Social Security is going to replace any substantial portion of your income. Because if you make, oh, well, let's let's $40,000 a year, well, Social Security could, could replace more than half of your retirement accounts, right, of your retirement income. But if you make 130000 a year, Social Security might replace 25% of your pre-retirement income because it's a declining scale. So there's a few factors. The age in which you decide to have, your, to have your claim also makes a difference. If you claim up to 36%, uh, 36 months prior to reaching your full retirement age, then it's about 6, six and two-thirds, 6.66, 6.67% less. But is it peace of mind knowing what that amount is? Is it peace of mind knowing that you're going to have more money by saving what you make from here, but at least you know for sure you're going to be getting it, right? For a lot of people, they don't know that. Who knows what the politicians will do if they're going to give a different amount for some, right? Maybe it's going to be giving a little bit more for, I don't know, let's pay off debt. 
If you turn on Social Security, you can use that to accelerate and you use that to accelerate uh, the RV that you purchased, your vacation home. Use that to accelerate the debt payoff for the things in your life. Then I would say it's a good deal. But you know you're giving up on the back end, so you better have another source of income. That's why when we talk about reliable retirement income, it's a laddering scenario. You're going to have some income that you're going to turn on sooner, some that you're going to turn on later. When I say turn on, it means begin to receive it. Because if you're going to have accounts that are set aside, whether you're using fixed annuities or fixed indexed annuities, savings accounts or CDs, where there's predictability, and you can have accounts where there's growth every year or two or three in the payment, meaning there's a cost of living built into it. It's not exactly a cost of living plan, but it's what you would, it's what you would know it as. And it gives you fifteen, eighteen hundred $1,800 a month. Okay, it's not going to change your life. But if you can double down your house payments or double down your vacation from the age of 63 to age 70, and now that debt is gone forever, now you don't have to make that money to come in the front door to go out the back door, maybe it makes sense. But anytime anybody, whether it's on this radio station or any other, or on a television or an infomercial, or they write a book, or we have some sort of web broadcast, and we tell you always do this or never do that. I mean, you can watch the rest of the show, but know that either they're not that bright, which I don't think is the case, or they think you are not that bright, which is more often the case. Because it's like a doctor diagnosing you. Never wait until age 70. You should wait till age 70 to take your social security. Yeah, meanwhile, you have a miserable job. Your health is declining. Your relationships are suffering. You're in a place that you don't like to be. The, the, these last two years of your life have really been stinky, and now you want to stay there another three years. What? You know, look, get outside, collect cans, and, and you can make up the difference. I mean, what is this? There's more to life than just the dollars. You can move to Arizona or San Bernardino or, or you know, Bakersfield or and on and on. You can, you can change little parts of your life. You could sell the, the more expensive car that has the higher uh, car insurance and drive a, a two-year older car that's a four-door and not a sports car. I mean, right? You can go on and on and on. If quality of life is more important to you than just sitting around counting your, your dollars. I want you to enjoy your life. If you're going to pass money on to your children or you're going to pass money on to your spouse, it is better to do it through Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks, through life insurance, or through real estate. It's not me talking. That is an, that is an absolute. Why? Because the IRS makes the rules. The Franchise Tax Board makes the rules. And they say those are tax-free transfers to your children or your heirs or your beneficiaries. That's 101. So your retirement account, your 401k, 457, if you work for a city, county, state, if you work for the federal government, it's called a thrift savings plan, right? If you're a school teacher, work for a research facility, nonprofit, or a hospital, yours is called a 403b. All of those are pre-tax money. And in most cases, when you pass them on to your beneficiaries, they will have to pay taxes on it. And after the CARES Act, which was passed this year, C-A-R-E-S, the CARES Act 
it is no longer advantageous to pass those on to non-spouse beneficiaries. So you now have to get involved a little bit more and active in the planning. The way that you might have received money from your parents when they passed away or from your spouse when he or she passed away. The rules are different now. And we have to be clear on that so that you don't make a mistake and think that you're going to live the same way in retirement and then surprise your tax consequences, responsibility goes up. So you and your family have to plan ahead of time. What do we do? Simple. I want you to I want you to spend as much money as you feel comfortable from your retirement accounts. I don't want you to die with $5 million sitting in an IRA. I'd like you to enjoy it. And as I shared with you at the beginning of the segment, you know, as a police officer, I sat there, I'm 22 years old, sitting in the locker room, putting on my boots and getting ready to change. And the next shift was coming in. And the guy was, you know, gray hair and he was old, <laughs> 50 which is what I am now plus. And he sat there and he was just grumpy, like, I have three more years and I'm done and I hate this place. And I thought, oh my gosh. I spent six months testing, six months in the academy, and the guy four lockers from me can't wait to get out. And I just, did I just make the biggest mistake in my life? I remember thinking like, oh my word, what did I do? I thought this was the greatest place in the world. Well, you know that everybody... You can make your environment in your workplace a little bit nicer or a little bit worse. But depending on where you work, sometimes things are out of your control. Well, why would you want to be there when you're 62, 3, 4, 5 years old? And, and it's the worst place you can be because, you know, the stress isn't the same and emotionally it's not the same. And yet, you know, you've built your financial life at least in your mind, to think this is it. I've got to stay at this job every day thinking I'm going to get terminated, every day thinking they could come and lay me off, every day thinking I have to work at, or be transferred or move. So take a, a step back. Let's think twice about this. I think you and your family could have a wonderful opportunity to decide whether or not this is the right place or right time. And don't be afraid to... to modify things a little bit, right? Don't be afraid to get to the place where you say, well, you know, I, I thought that I was going to retire this way, but quality of life means a heck of a lot more. So will you have enough in savings? I want you to look at something called the 4% rule. Really, it's not that perfect, but here's all I want you to do. Figure out this. Get to the place in your financial life where you do the math and whatever it is, that you think you're going to need per year, times that by 20 or 25. So if you think you need $10,000 a year from your retirement accounts, 20 is 200,000, 250,000 if you're going to use the 4% rule. How much do I need to live it? Well, I want, you know, it'd be nice to have an extra 2,000 a month from my retirement accounts. Great. 2,000 a month times 25, that's $500,000. When your retirement accounts reach 500 and you have social security or even a small pension, You've eliminated debt or lessened it substantially. You're good. That could be the place that you go. That could be the time that you look around and say, I'm happy. I don't need to worry about it. Quality of life is much more important. So we've talked about a couple of things, guys. 
when do you make that decision to retire? When we come back, I want to get into another thing that I think is kind of important and that we have seemed to forget, uh, forget about. Specifically, aging in place is becoming the new thing. And as it is becoming the new thing, how do we make sure we do it properly? How do we make sure we understand some of the issues that occur if we're going to buy our last home, especially with, with mortgage rates at you know, all-time lows, at least in, in my lifetime? How do we make sure we don't make those big mistakes? The other problem I want you to look at, guys, when we return, your pension fund, how secure is it? And how do we have a plan B just in case there's an issue like what happened to the New York Metropolitan Authority, right? MTA for New York. I think you're going to be surprised, maybe even shocked when we come back in just a minute. I'm Arif Hallaby, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. You can get a hold of us uh, all week long, and even on the weekends, sometimes we're there for you, uh, picking up the calls. There's not a whole lot of folks in the office on the weekends, but sometimes we're there. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. I'm Arif Hallaby on your place. For news, talk, and information, this is AM870, The Answer on the Total Financial Hour. We'll be right back. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. Or thanks for joining me. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. That's our number. Uh, feel free to give us a call all week long as we talk about your family's finances of course, getting out of debt, managing money, all topics are on discussion here as we try to work through this, I think, sometimes complicated time in our lives. You know, when we talk about retiring and even staying in place or aging in place or, or staying in the same home, if you will, there's a huge percentage of you that are now leaving the home in which you've raised your family to another one, and that is your your final home, if you will, or a place where you want to age and where you want to live the rest of your life. And that has changed a lot because it didn't used to be that way, right? The reason we have 30-year mortgages is because you were a 30-year-old guy by the time you got your life settled and you married a 20-year-old young lady because the emotional maturity was about equal <laughs> at those two ages. And so now you have a, a family, you have your life settled, you get a house, buy a house mortgage, 30 years plus 30, you're now at 60, 65 years old by the time you retire. You have one house, and that's it. You stay there, you raise your family, you live there, you die there. Things have changed a lot as people are now retiring, and they're, ha- they're being forced in one form or, or fashion to leave their home. Often it's because of financial reasons, but sometimes it's because of health reasons. Right, Your home was larger, you couldn't afford a large piece of land, but they could go up, meaning you could have a two-story house, have the five bedrooms that you needed, raise your family there, but now two stories doesn't work for you because the master is on the second floor and hips and knees and backs. So a lot of people are retiring and buying the last home, and it's it's the house. It's the 
the Dell Webb, it's the planned community type homes. And they do a very good job of providing single story, wider hallways, better access to bathrooms and showers, that kind of thing, with walkers or wheelchairs so it's not difficult. And yet it's still lovely and functional and proper and, and elegant if you're not there yet. So in other words, it can be the place that you age or it can be the place that you know you, you just use as a base of operations. But here's the change. Now, this, this was the case many years ago, but it seems to be the case more today, which is you are retiring and still taking care of elderly parents, meaning you're retired. And of course, your parents have been retired for 20 or 30 years. So you're caring for them. So your retirement is not just worried about yourself, but it's bringing another person into the home or caring for them. And so as that is taking place, you're trying to think to yourself, how do I create a lifestyle where I'm still retired, but I'm still caring for my elderly parents? Well, I want you to look at a couple of things. As this run up to retirement, whether retirement for you is flipping of a switch, working really hard and I'm done, or it is a, a knob, right? A dimmer switch, working a little bit more, taking time off, working a little bit more. Now I'm working full time just for two, two months, three months, and I'm back down to part time, right? Where it's little, that's usually the way this retirement is. No longer is it a light switch. It's now a dimmer switch. And retirement is, I need more time at home. Okay, now I'm free time. Now I'm a widow or widower, so I want to go back to work and be around people, right? Those, those things come and go. And that, that segment of time could be 15, 20 years. But as that run-up occurs, I want you to look at a couple of things. The automobile that you buy, that last car that you buy, or the one that is going to take you through retirement, may not be the same one as when you were raising family, meaning you needed a minivan back then because you had four little children you know, on the carpool and you had everybody in the car and you're trying to take to hockey practice or dance, whatever it is, your car is loaded with people and that doesn't happen anymore. Now that everybody's out of the house, their teenagers are driving themselves or in college and you get the sports car. But to get down into that sports car uh, is not great on 75-year-old knees and backs. So although it's been a dream car for you, nothing wrong with it, or the tall pickup truck where you have to take two steps to get in, nothing wrong with it. But if you are going to get into that retirement world and you're caring for an elderly parent, surprise, they're not going to be able to do that as easily. So taking them to their doctor's appointments or to family events or on vacation or to hair appointments or whatever it is that you're doing, when you take them with you and you have the car of your dreams pickup truck or the car of your dreams uh, you know, sports car, think twice about that. You need to have a second vehicle or third vehicle, whatever it is, where you can take the walker and put it in the trunk, where they can easily step into the car and not have to step up to it or down into it. Right? Getting them in is one thing. Getting them out might be difficult. As a guy who has two elderly parents and, and two elderly uh, parents-in-law, right? We're blessed to have all four of them still with us. And I think the highest, the oldest is in their late 80s and the, uh, sorry, the early 90s, 93, I think, 92, 93. 
And then uh, mid-70s is the youngest between all four of them. And so their ailments and their ability to move around, how much are you going to be that person that takes them, drops them off, picks them up? Your automobile of choice needs to be a part of that decision that leads beyond just you. Right as they say 70, uh, what is it, 60 is the new 70 or 70 is whatever, however that goes. 50 is the new whatever and there are people running and exercising and doing all sorts of things at age 70 that they used to do only at age 50. Right? Retirement is no longer sitting in a rocking chair just waiting to die. It's about activity. It's about giving back. The minds, the experiences of our seniors are a lot more capable in, in many cases than maybe their knees or, or joints, but just as valuable. So their ability to go out and to be involved with the community is very important. And maybe you're that person who needs to be out there and, and be active with them. So just keep that in mind. So what are some of the dangers of aging in place or the problems? You have to look at it as you may have to move again. Whereas you have a bedroom downstairs, you have a bathroom downstairs, but that was for you or it's going to be for you because you may be just as old or, or in ailed ailments as the senior, as your parent. But some of the issues when you move is your infrastructure, your church, your charity, the stores you would go to. The issues with some of that is they could be farther away or a completely different state. And your support system, emotional and otherwise, is not right around the corner. It's not next door neighbor. I remember my grandmother always seemed to have a problem with one of her neighbors. And sometimes we'd visit and it would be the neighbor on this side and sometimes it's the neighbor on that side. I'm like, well, I thought you were mad at those people. Well, no, but oh, these people did something to your petunias and these people played their music. And what the? I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's you, Grandma. <laughs> Maybe it's you. Because so many of us forget that relationships are a big part of retirement. So what are some of the disadvantages of aging at home? Well, there could be sudden health declines. We see that. Everything might be well, and then somebody slips and falls because the home was not built for that. Somebody with a stroke or a debilitating fall, maybe an accident, sudden onset of illness, these things can and do occur. They have in my life. Absolutely, mom and dad in three weeks, both of them were impacted. So that's a challenge between trying to figure out, we went from being independent, driving themselves, to all of a sudden needing someone to, to care for them and for a big percentage of the day, at least at the beginning. And now you're at the mercy of whatever help your family members can give you. And if you have a, a good family, a decent siblings and uh, folks that you can take turns, if you're an only child, this is a very tough scenario. You have to have either a lot of money or a lot of time. And what about the repairs, the needed repairs we have to have the money for that. Maybe changing out the bathroom stalls so that the shower is easier to get into so nobody sl slips and falls there. Maybe changing out the walk-in, you know, the bathtub with the shower. Taking that big step is nothing when you're 15 years old or 25 or 65. But when you're 85, it could be a huge problem to step over that bathtub side. But the repairs along the way, just the day-to-day -day repairs, 
right? The painting of the house, the plumbing issues. Before they become big issues, we have to fix them when they're small issues. So the home, there's a tendency for the home to decline as you age in it. Take a look at folks. Ask yourself, how many of you have been the person who's taken over your aunt or your parent and you've taken over their home, you've got involved there and you find out that there are more problems than you ever thought of. So you have to be careful. An experienced advisor that that walks through the house with you might be needed to have somebody say, okay, you have to change this. All right, this corner is a little bit too too sharp. We have to watch out for here. Right, parts and pieces that never were an issue before because somebody, an elderly person, didn't live there. So you have to look at this and say, how do I create in my life a much easier transition? All right, what if one person declines and their only caretaker is the other senior? They can't be there when somebody falls. They can't help them lift up. They can't help them uh, anything physical. Of course, they can dial a phone. But that means you're a prisoner, right? Because that, you can't go to the store if the other person gets up and walks around or stands up or, or slips and falls, and they're all alone. I'll tell you one of the things that we did is bought those uh, that monitoring device where you put it on your hand, right, like a watch. You push the button if somebody falls down or gets hurt, and it can call a system and send a authorities to help. First responders can be there, help you get up, uh, care for yourself. Here's another one that's pretty important. And it happens sometimes very slowly, so it's difficult to even see. And it's a mental decline where people start to repeat themselves. They forget where they live. They forget, did they eat dinner or breakfast today? Did they care for themselves? What did they do to take care of themselves today? Was that even done yet? And they don't remember. So it isn't that they're completely bad. They're still doing some things. And obviously they, they got dressed because you can look at, look at themselves, right? And you can say, oh, yeah, of course you, you dressed yourself today. But did you take your medication? Did you go to, to uh, the store like you should have? Did you see the doctor, went to the doctor's appointments? Some of those things are completely simple and easy to do, but as they age, they might just forget. Did they pay the property taxes? Did they pay for their life insurance? I want to encourage you, if you have a senior that you are caring for, put yourself down as a trusted, it's called a trusted contact. It might be named something different with each industry or company, but the gist of the idea is this. If there is a late payment or property tax or car insurance that just isn't paid or homeowner's insurance or earthquake insurance, things like that 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 have an automatic payment, and if it's not set up on automatic payment and it needs to be paid for, then I want you to be the trusted contact, which means... If they forgot to pay their life insurance, for example, then the company sends out a notice, but they also send one to you. If there's somebody who is not paying uh, their auto insurance 
a notice is also sent to you. It says, hey, we've noticed you haven't paid it. And you can call up grandmother or mom or dad and say, hey, did you pay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I paid it. Well, let's take a look and see. People make mistakes. But most of the time, it's going to be the senior who've kind of taken space and time and and merged it together saying, oh, yeah, I swear I paid it. Well, yeah, but that was the one six months ago. The one that's due now, you haven't paid. So I want to encourage you to put those things on auto pay. Just like when you have reliable retirement income from a pension or Social Security or from the companies and products that we work with, where they're making a payment to you, they're, they're depositing money in your bank account, they're doing that every single month. And with us, you can choose. Have it deposited on the 10th, put it in the 9th, put it in the 20th, right? My birthday's the 15th. I want it on the 15th each and every month. You can do that anytime between the 1st and the 28th. And as they make a deposit, it goes into your account, especially if on the backside you have money coming out of the account to pay for your auto insurance, your health insurance, your life insurance. Because we had somebody come to our office, a, a client, gosh, she must have been, her and her husband, probably, I don't know, let's say 10 years. And she did not pay her health insurance, her life insurance in April when it was due. And then she passed away in August. That was $1 million. I think the payment was, I don't know, let's say $300 or something. A million dollars that her family did not receive because she didn't pay. Now, she was not elderly. She was in her 50s. But it goes to show you the impact of forgetting one payment and the difference that it would have made to her two children. Because remember, life insurance is tax-free. That's full dollars that come to you. Here's a check. Bye-bye. Done. Do with it as you want. So we have to make sure that if there are payments that are needed to be made, you can be that trusted contact. And I also want you to do it. Look, if it means that they uh, need a power of attorney on record because it's time to sell their car if they can't drive safely anymore, or there's a power of attorney that needs to be on record because you're going to need to go in and make deposits or withdrawals from their bank account. Now, I think, as I've said to you many times before, I think there's a much higher moral responsibility when you are caretaking somebody else's money. Whether it's as the beneficiary, it's still somebody else's money, even though you receive it. Yeah, they earned it. You didn't. You just you know, won the gene lottery the ancestor lottery. So you better caretake for those funds. Worse if you're somebody who's sitting on a joint account or a mutual owner of real estate or something. Think about these dollars. They're coming to you. Somebody else earned them. You did not. So I just think there's a higher moral obligation. That's all. Because if you believe that In the next five years, you and your partner are going to be healthy because you're active. There's not an issue. Then fine. Maybe you don't have to make a move right now. But really, from the age of 65 on, things like strokes, things like heart attacks, accidents, 
they've struck the, the healthiest among us down. And so there are going to be still provisions that are needed. I think you should have things like this if you have minor children. If you're a single person and you don't have minor children and you're in your 30s, no problem. Do whatever you want. When you die, your money will go wherever and your cares, you know, whatever. It's not a big concern. But the moment you have minor children, the moment you have money or property or assets that have a positive number, meaning not just, well, I bought a house for 800000 it's worth eight fifty, and I owe seven fifty. Okay, well, nobody's going to fight over that. By the time you pay real estate fees and taxes, it's over. But it's the assets, right? Have a lot of assets, care for yourself. All right, one of the biggest things I want you to look at is how is your pension fund investing its money? We're seeing an alarming trend. Pension funds have been investing in hedge funds. Now, hedge funds have gotten a dirty rap, and some of it is rightfully earned, and some of it is not. But it's leverage, right? When things work, oh my gosh, you're the smartest in the world. You're putting your money into something. They're buying a chain of whatever or investing in a a new technology. And if a home run hits, boy, everybody is paid out 5, 10, 20 times what you invested. And everybody's smart. But with pension funds not keeping up, with the rates of returns that they need, we are seeing them having to take or wanting to take greater risk than in some cases people would think is prudent. So here's a good example. The MTA fund, right? Basically the uh, MTA of New York, Metropolitan Transit Authority, billions of dollars, $4 billion. They take $330 million and they invest in a hedge fund. Well, this March, April of 2020, uh, they lost 97% of it. Gone. Not ever to return. That means the pension fund is immediately down a, a third of a billion dollars. I'm going to let that uh, soak for just a second because I think you need to see that amongst this COVID scenario, this this, uh, September 28th, it came out, was the uh, story, okay? Why did they do that? $330 million at the end of the year dropped nearly 87% by mid-year and then another... uh, few more dollars and down to 97% in a single quarter. Just be clear for a minute, 330 million goes in the front door and about 10 million comes out. Do you think those men and women who worked at the MTA are happy? Of course not. Do you think they feel more secure? No. So when I tell you that I think you need to have a plan B when it comes to the pension funds, These men and women often don't always understand what they're investing in, even though they have big titles and fancy suits. Because apparently that was the case here. They had no clue what what they were investing in. And even if they did, the reason they're investing in hedge funds is just to try to keep up with the difference anyway of what they're losing. So the Pension Fund for New York Metropolitan Transit Transportation Authority 
was $4.8 billion, and they lost $330 million. So you need to ask yourself, how secure is my pension fund? What are the formulas? What numbers are they using? Because companies have been forming or uh, kind of planning and tricking and, and creating this whole little uh, deal called the pension system for a long time. And when it works, everybody's smart. But Blue Cross Blue Shield says it had $2.9 billion in the fund for the National Retirement Trust, Lehigh University, the Arkansas Teachers Retirement Plan. And let's be clear on this, $62 million in the fund, well, the Arkansas Teachers Association lost seven seventy-four, meaning one company, Lehigh University, they lost $62 million. The Arkansas Teachers Association, they lost $774 million. So it isn't just the fancy New York City. It's not just California. It's not just Illinois. Some of these folks, I don't know where the money goes. That's a great investigation. Maybe if there was a real journalist out there, they'd start following the money trail because it left somebody's hands. And it went into somebody else's hands. So before you count on your pension being 100% of the way you're going to live, I think you need to do some research on it just to make sure that it's going to be there. Make sure that you have a plan B in case it suffers a loss, whether it's a little or a large loss. And make sure you and your family can enjoy your retirement life, whether you've chosen to age in place or to buy that single story house for the future. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for being with me. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. We're here every week at this time talking about your family's finances. I'm Eric Hallaby, and this is AM870, The Answer. The total financial hour, always a pleasure being with you. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. Have a blessed week. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial